You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does it mean to be very intentional about your life, to say, what am I going to do in a very intentional way to make my life meaningful and not waste my time? And I, and I felt like I had wasted a lot of time on people and things that I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that anymore. But that wasn't what I came in saying. I came in saying there was this devastating breakup. Welcome to The Road to Somewhere, where we talk about all things exploration and adventure and life change and transformation. Um, We may not know exactly where we're going, but we have faith that the journey will be worthwhile. I am Lisa Oz. And I am Jill Herzig. And I, I think, you know, we are all about the joy of bumbling along and, you know, keeping forward momentum, even if we don't know where we're going. But there are moments when that feels really scary and just super hard. And at various points in my life, it has taken so much for me to say, wait a second, I actually need help. I need professional help. I need a therapist to help me deal with this. I feel like the older I get, the faster I should be to recognize those moments, and yet the slower I am to recognize it. And I don't know. I just wonder, you know, our conversation today, we'll get into it, but I guess I guess I I feel like my god, how how can I not have learned this lesson that when you're really flailing around, if the tiniest little shadow of a thought says to you, I could really use some therapy, then it's time if it is at all accessible to you. It is time to go get it. <laughs> it's probably past time to go get it. Well, our guest today will actually be able to answer that question for us as she is a therapist herself, a psychotherapist, and she is the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, which is a New York Times bestseller. We are joined by Lori Gottlieb. Lori, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So, you are a therapist. And the premise of your book and this life journey you went on was that as a therapist, you actually needed therapy and you needed to be nudged into getting that therapy. Can you tell us what 
was going on and what happened and and how you started down that adventure of therapy? So it seems a little bit ironic that as a therapist and someone who really wants to help take the stigma off of people getting help and and our emotional struggles, that when I was going through something, which was that um, the person that I thought I was going to marry suddenly decided, he said he didn't want to live with a kid under his roof for the next 10 years. And that kid at the time was my eight-year-old. And this came as quite a shock to me because my eight-year-old had not been hiding in the closet for the <laughs> for the years that we'd been dating. And so I thought, you know, I I will get through this. And and I wasn't getting through it. I was, you know, I was I was really having a real difficult time coping with this news. And um so when I went to get a therapist, I was worried that if I told my colleagues that I needed to get a therapist that that they wouldn't refer people to me or they would think that it would harm me somehow. And so I I called somebody and asked for a referral and I said I was asking for a friend. And later I I confessed that it was for me. But um, you know, now I'm really embarrassed that I I felt like I had to do that. Although that reveals that the stigma touches even the people who are involved in removing the stigma. That that and maybe I mean, do you think the stigma is real? It couldn't have hurt you? How could it have? I mean, right. You know, I, I is think it irrational it's, or? I, I think that it's, it's kind of an artifact of, of what people thought about therapy and, and mental health a while ago. I think now we're much more hip to the fact that mental health is so important and it's as important as our physical health. And if something is wrong with our bodies, you know, we don't say, oh, I'll just, I'll just let it go. You know, if you're having chest pain, you'll probably go to the cardiologist before you're having a massive heart attack. But if you're having some kind of, something feels off emotionally or having some kind of emotional pain, often we say, well, we kind of minimize it. You know, it's not that bad or other people have it worse or kind of stiff upper lip. Um, and then people come to me, you know, to my therapy office when, they're having the equivalent of an emotional heart attack, and we don't have to wait that long. Hmm. You know, one of the things in your book that really fascinated me was the limitations of your friend's support when you had this sudden breakup, and they just rushed in, particularly your female friends, to defend you and prop you up and a little bit demonize the man you call boyfriend in your in your <laughs> book, and they called him the kid hater or something, you know, I guess I just, I'm curious because particularly I think among women, there's a sense that my girlfriends will help me get through this. Yeah. But your girlfriends actually, they were so well-meaning and they showed their love for you, but it wasn't helpful at all. That's right. That's right. So in the book, I talk about the difference between idiot compassion and wise compassion. And idiot compassion is what we do for our friends generally. We, you know, oh, that guy was a jerk. And your friend will say, yeah, you're right. You dodged a bullet. Even though that might've happened, you know, the last three times in your relationships. Or I can't believe that other person got the promotion I wanted. And then we say, yeah, that's so unfair. Even though we might know that there's something, maybe you didn't really put in the work or there's something that you're doing at the office. So I think what happens is that that we kind of blindly support people and it's idiot compassion because it doesn't help them to see what might really be going on and what might actually help them. It's kind of like if a fight breaks out in every bar you're going to, maybe it's you. Now your friends won't <laughs> say that. Um, but you know what therapists offer is wise compassion, which is we hold up a mirror 
to someone and we say, I want you to look at your reflection in a way that you normally don't because you're going to see something that's very useful to you. If if what they're doing primarily, though, is holding up a mirror, could you... Could you do that for yourself? I mean, if we have listeners who are like struggling with something, is it possible to be your own therapist? We all have blind spots and mm. it's so much easier to see other people than it is to see ourselves. So sometimes we can be very self-aware and we can say, you know, I see a pattern here. I see this thing. I see that I've been struggling in this area for a while, or I see the same thing keeps happening over and over. Um, But often we don't see that. We don't realize that the choices we're making or that the behaviors we're engaging in are really guaranteeing our own unhappiness. We think it's out there. We think it's like another person. We think it's circumstantial. It's like this circumstance is causing this or situational or it's somebody else. And you know that old old Sartre line, hell is other people. Well, sometimes hell is us. (laughs) And we don't realize that, that sometimes we are the cause of our own problems, or at least even if there are other difficult situations or people out there that we're responding to them in a way that is making our lives more difficult. I'm going to worry this friendship thing for another second because I'm curious about whether this girlfriend code that we all seem to live by, unconditional support, unconditional love, you know, you're never in the wrong. I mean, should we be more honest with each other? Because let's face it, you can absolutely love a friend and still see that see them quite accurately. Can you not hold up that mirror? Is that just not, that's not part of it? No, I mean, I think we, we should, but you have to do it in a compassionate way. Um, and, and I always say timing and dosage are important. So the timing, if the person is calling you right at the moment that that thing happened and they're really upset about it, that might not be the moment to say, you know, there's this thing that you do that might've contributed to this problem. That might be the moment to just listen. But then, you know, give it a few days and say, you know, I've been thinking about our conversation from the other day. And and are you curious to hear what I think? And I want you to know I'm saying this from a place of love, right? They might be able to hear that more. And dosage too. You don't want to say like, you know, give them 10 years of history with them of all the examples of when this happened. Um, You might want to just say, you know, in this circumstance, here's what I see. And then later you can increase the dosage and say, and I saw it in these other circumstances too. Hmm. And, and that will help them to feel less shame because I think the reason people don't want to hear that and the people the reason people say, oh, you're not being supportive of me is because what they're hearing is a criticism. What they're hearing is you're saying something's wrong with me. And we're not saying something's wrong with you. We're saying, I love you and I see you struggle in this way and I think that you might be doing something. But what they hear is something like, I feel a lot of shame because you're pointing out something about me that I'm not proud of. Why is it easier to hear that from a therapist than from someone we actually have a, a you know, like a friend or a spouse or a, a family member, someone that we have that kind of relationship with? Why is, why is the distance of a therapist make us more open to what what could be perceived as criticism? Two reasons. I think the first is that we feel more exposed with our friends and family. Um, they see us all the time. Um, the stakes are higher. We need them to love us. Um, we want them to love us. So I think with a therapist, yeah, you want your therapist to like you, but at the end of the day, um, you're not as worried um, because you don't have have the same outside history and ongoing relationship with that person that you do with your family and friends. Great. When we come back, I do want to delve deeper into that relationship with a therapist. 
This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Before the break, we were speaking with Lori Gottlieb about therapy and maybe why it is easier to speak to a therapist than a friend, especially in times where we need some advice. And um, I just want to like throw out my personal situation because we talked about our relationship with a therapist. I've been to therapy a couple of times, never had it work. When I say work, I mean last for more than like three sessions because two things happen. Either I don't respect the therapist and I feel like, ugh, I, you're not that smart and I'm not going to get anything from you. And then I leave like a brat. Or <laughs> I really like them and I respect them and I think they're incredibly smart. But then I don't want them to see all my ugly bits. And so it's never going to work because I won't expose myself to them because I want them to think I'm really cool and be my friend because I respect them. So how do you get beyond, how do I, here we go, like my own therapy session, how how do we be allow ourselves to be vulnerable with a therapist when we most need it? Well, first of all, it's really natural to want your therapist to like you and respect you. Um, and I think we all wonder, you know, what is my therapist thinking? Um, what does she think of me or what does he think of me? You know, I think when people first come in, there's almost a performative aspect to it. And I did that too. You can see in the book that when I go to my therapist, um, yeah, you, you asked know, him, because, you finally asked him, do you like me? <laughs> I, yeah, eventually I, I, I did. Um, and, and I think that's allowed a lot of people to realize that you can talk about the relationship between the two of you with your therapist, that that's, that's actually an important component of the therapy. But when I first went to therapy, you know, especially because I already was a therapist, I think that I wanted to appear much more together than I was. 
And I think we all do that to some degree. You know, people have secrets and not necessarily because they're lying, but because they're going to kind of dole out the information as they start to form a relationship with you, as they trust you more, as they realize that um, you do like them, you do respect them. And a lot of people kind of hide the truth of who they are because they're worried that I'm going to feel differently about them if they tell me all of these things that they feel ashamed of or that they don't like about themselves. Um, But actually that makes me like them more. It draws me toward them because if I can see you, if you can really show me who you are, I'm going to feel really connected to you. If you keep deflecting or going off on tangents or trying to present like a version of yourself that isn't authentic, it's going to be really hard for me to get to know you. And if I can't get to know you, it's going to be really hard to like you. Yeah. I mean, it is it is tough to let go of that performative aspect. And I think one of the things in your book that really resonated with me was this idea that a therapist is able to hold in their head as they as they interact with you, a sense of who you are in the present, but also a very kind of hopeful vision of who you could be in the future. Did I misread that or is that is that something? That's exactly right. Hope is a big part of, of therapy because when people come in, they often don't have a lot of hope, right? They came at a point, as I said, they sometimes come when things have gotten really bad. Um, the people who come in preventatively um, are people who do have hope, right? They're, they're there because they want to make sure that um, they're taking care of their emotional health. But for a lot of people, they come in because they got to a point where they don't have a lot of hope or they don't, they're kind of lost, right? They've lost their, their footing. They've lost their direction, um, whether that's, you know, in a relationship or as a parent or with their own parents or, you know, whatever it might be. So, I can see something that they can't see in that moment. I can see a future that they can't see. And it's my responsibility to hold that hope for them until they can hold it for themselves. So you mention in the book, you talk about the presenting problem. It's the it's the inciting incident that drives you into the therapy chair in the first place, but um, or a crisis anyway. How do you, as a therapist, get beyond that issue? Like with you, it was a breakup to peel away the layers and get to what the real problem is? Because the real problem is never just the breakup or the job firing or like this show is all about transition and being on a on a path where there's flux and change. And that's never really the actual thing that you end up dealing with in therapy. Yeah, most of the time it's not. Sometimes it is. Um, you know, someone might come in and say, I had a miscarriage and I'm having a really hard time. You know, they've had a specific loss, right? But a lot of the time people will come in and they have a specific thing that happened in their lives. And you can see that, you know, I in the book I follow very I follow four very different patients. Um, and then I'm the fifth patient. So you have five very different patients um, that you're seeing go through this process of transformation you can see that what they come in with ends up being the, the thing that got them into therapy, but that there's just this underlying struggle or pattern that has been ongoing for a while. And so I always say that I like to listen for the music under the lyrics. The lyrics are the content of what they came in with. I came in because um, I'm having this trouble with my wife. I came in because um, you know my adult children won't talk to me. I came in because you know whatever it is. Um, that one of the people comes, she comes in because uh, you know she keeps hooking up with the wrong guy. She's in her twenties and, and can't find a guy who wants what she wants. Um, 
that seems to be the presenting problem, but then there's something else that's going on that got them into the situation. So I'm, I'm listening for the music under those lyrics so I can figure out what is our treatment really going to be about. So what was the music under your, if the lyrics were, I've suffered this devastating breakup, what was the music underneath for you? Well, in my very first session, I'm ranting about <laughs> the breakup. And um, and by the way, I present myself in a very unflattering light because that's what people are like, right, when they come. And I really wanted to kind of let it rip and, and, and make myself, you know, I say at the beginning of the book that my greatest credential is that I'm a card-carrying member of the human race. And <laughs> I think that's really important to show. So the lyrics were this sudden breakup happened. I don't know where this came from. It was out of left field. There were no clues about this. You know, clearly that guy was a sociopath because, you know, (laughs) who would do this? But I say, you know, and now I've wasted, I'm in my forties and I've wasted all these years of my life dating him and, and half my life is over. And my therapist gloms onto that phrase, half my life is over. And as you see in the book, that's what our therapy is about is what was really happening was there were clues. I didn't want to see them. And because I was so worried about where I was at midlife that I was willing to overlook those clues and something bigger was going on. There were a few secrets that I had that I wasn't telling my therapist and I don't tell them until like midway through the book, um, which was, you know, a few months into our therapy where I was really worried about where I was at, at this midpoint in my life. And, you know, in terms of my health, in terms of my career in terms of my role as a parent, in terms of my role in relationships. Um, What does it mean to know that, you know, to be very intentional about your life, to say, what am I going to do in a very intentional way to make my life meaningful and not waste my time? And And I felt like I had wasted a lot of time on people and things that I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that anymore. But that wasn't what I came in saying. I came in saying there was this devastating breakup. Hmm. And there was an interesting moment in the book where you talk about the difference between pain and suffering. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. So when I was going through the breakup, one of the things that I was doing was creating all of these stories in my mind about whether or not my ex-boyfriend was um, was suffering in the way that I was suffering, whether he felt the pain that I was that I was feeling. Um, you know, if he posted pictures of like, you know salads and restaurants, I would say, well, how can he even eat? <laughs> I mean, it's this very like regressed juvenile place that I think we go to when we're feeling that kind of loss. And you are um, not alone. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so um, and so my therapist said, you know, you're, you're creating, everybody feels, I'm sorry, everybody feels pain, but you don't have to suffer so much. And the pain that I was feeling was the loss, but the suffering I was creating for myself by, you know, following him on social media, by making up these stories in my head about what I meant to him or what I didn't mean to him, you know, that was suffering that I didn't need to do. When you go into therapy, you're seeking a change. And I want to just, if you would mind walking us through how therapy helps us navigate the different stages of change. So change is really hard because with every change comes loss, even positive change. So say you're going to get married or you're going to have a baby. These are positive changes. You're getting a new job that you really love, positive change. But there's also the uncertainty of what that means. And you have to give up what you already have. 
even if even if what you already have, by the way, was unpleasant or downright miserable, um, it's it was still your misery. <laughs> it was it was your home. It was home to you. It was what was familiar. And then all of a sudden, you have to walk into this you know this unknown territory. And I think humans don't do well with uncertainty. So change is it's really hard to get people to change. And I talk in the book about the stages of change and how it's not like the Nike commercial, just do it. You know, it's like some people think that they've done that, but actually there was a lot of unconscious preparation that happened that got them to that place where they actually made the changes. And so I think it's important to realize, like, I think we get frustrated with friends or family members when they don't make a change that we know is really good for them and they know is really good for them. And they're, they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to start exercising or I'm going to drink less or I'm going to, um, you know, pay attention to my health or I'm going to be in healthier relationships or whatever it is. And they know they need to do that and they want to do that. But part of them also is resistant to doing that because they know that they're going to have to give up something that feels really comfortable and familiar to them. When we come back, I would love it if you would walk us through those different stages of change. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We're back and we're talking with Lori Gottlieb, psychotherapist. Before the break, we had touched on the stages of change and this podcast is about change. So Lori, would you walk us through the different stages? Sure. So before someone makes a change, there's usually, uh, they go through these stages. And the first one is pre-contemplation. And pre-contemplation is you don't even know that you're thinking about making a change. It's somewhere deep inside you, but you don't, you're not consciously aware of it yet. Um, and then we go to contemplation where, you know, you're, 
you're kind of aware that you want to make a change or you should make a change, but you know, you'll come up with a lot of reasons why you can't, why it's impossible, why you're going to have to do it two years from now, if ever. Um, and then there's, um, preparation where you've decided, you know what, I am going to make this change, but you're not ready to take action yet. So maybe you'll start like, you know, researching a therapist. Maybe you're like, I I need to go to therapy or maybe you'll start saying, you know, I'm going to look at maybe joining a gym. And then there's action where you actually take action and you do the thing that you need to do. And just because you've taken the action doesn't mean you're going to maintain that. So then there's maintenance, which means that how do you maintain this change that you've made? So a lot of people are really gung-ho when they first make a change, but then how do you keep that change going? Yeah, maintenance, is, people, maintenance is the hardest part, I think, in a lot maintenance of ways. Is, it is. It is because it took a lot of work to get to action. And then maintaining it is... And you really have to make changes in your lifestyle, right? And, and changes in your outlook. And it has to be really intrinsically motivated, really motivated, not by someone wanting you to do something, but you have to have really good reasons for yourself about why this has made your life better. Mm-hmm. And usually you have those, but sometimes it's still hard and you might slip. And what happens is when people slip, they think, oh, all is lost. So just forget it. <laughs> but when you slip, just know that people slip and you can just go right back to it. You don't have to go into that place of, I failed, I'm a loser. I can't do this. That's what people often do. And instead you can say, you know, it's normal, natural to slip. And I'm just going to go back now to where I was. Along those, you know, sort of stations of the cross of change, where, is there any place where a therapist can be especially helpful or is it really just at any point along the way? I think at any point along the line, usually what gets people into a therapist's office is that maybe they're in the uh, you know, they're they're in one of those very early stages. And so we help them along the way. They're in pre-contemplation or they're in contemplation or, you know, they're, they're somewhere. Um, the pre-contemplation, they might be, they don't realize they need to make a change, but they're coming in because they think someone else in their life needs to make a change. And that gets them into therapy. Mm. And, and we help them with the changes that they need to make. You You knew all this stuff as a therapist and still needed to go into therapy yourself to apply it to your life. How has being a patient changed the way you practiced as a therapist? It's changed it so much. When you're when you're getting your hours for licensure, part of that is you go to therapy and it's really different when you're going to therapy as an intern and you don't really feel like a therapist yet. So you very much feel like the patient in that room. It's a different thing when you have a practice and you've been doing it for a while and then you go into therapy. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to take off your therapist hat. You know, maybe why the therapist is asking you a certain question and you want to answer it in a way where you come off well as opposed to the real answer. Um, but very quickly, you can see I do take off my therapist hat and I just a person in the room. Um, but one of the things that it helped me with was the therapist that I went to brought so much of his personality and his humanity into the room. And I think that we have these, there are all these cliches of therapists that, you know, they're either kind of the person who doesn't say much, kind of like the brick wall who says, "Uh uh-huh, a lot and just listens. (laughs) Um, And then the other cliche is like, you know, the train wreck, the hot mess, the person who's, you know, just can't keep it together in their own life. And neither of those is true. Even though I'm going through something pretty big in my life at the time, um, I'm not, 
I'm not a hot mess. You know, I'm, I'm going through, I'm having a normal reaction to the kind of thing that I'm going through. And I'm very much, you know, I'm very competent and capable at work and I'm very competent and capable as a parent, but I'm really struggling emotionally. And that those, all of those things can be true at the same time. But what my therapist did was he just was very much himself in the room. It wasn't like those cliches that you think of when you think of what therapists are like. And he taught me to be to be very much myself and to bring myself into the room. And I don't mean crossing boundaries. I don't mean disclosing things about my personal life. I just mean being much more human in the room. And that has, I think, really shaped the way that I practice. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that one of the things I love about, about this is that you have, with this book, exposed so much about not just what goes on in therapy as a therapist— there is a lot of learning there. I mean, there, there's there's so much method to it. But also that therapists themselves can be just as neurotic. As you say, you're a card-carrying human. It's really kind of inspiring. I think one of the themes that comes up over and over again in this podcast and in these conversations is that you just have to let your humanity show. And no one will fault you for that. And in fact, you will you will draw to yourself and be able to give you know, so much more. Um, it's just, I don't know, I, there, there's, there's no question. I guess I'm just, I'm just grateful for the self-exposure that you were willing to risk with this, this book and other books you've written. I mean, you, you've, really, you've really put yourself out there. You know, I really feel like that people can see themselves more clearly through other people's stories. And I think it normalizes their struggles. And I think that if people get anything from reading these stories in the book is that we're all more the same than we are different. That even though the five people, me being one of them, who are all going to therapy in the book are really different on the surface, I think underneath it all, we all struggle with the same kinds of universal questions um, about you know what it means to live the kind of life that we want to live and, and relate both to ourselves and to other people in the way that we want to do that. And so I felt that I couldn't really write this book if I didn't include myself because, um, you know, we're all, we're all struggling with very similar things. And I think that, that when we can see ourselves more clearly through other people's experiences, um, we make changes too. And, and I felt that it was more powerful to include myself in that. Do you find that today more people than ever actually need therapy, maybe because we don't have the time to connect in a way that we would share the vulnerabilities about ourselves in real life. And because of the the digital world we live in where we're projecting uh, projecting an image of who we are, where we maybe aren't as in touch with our core did, do you think that that Are the we more effed up than ever? Yeah, <laughs> is the, does the modern world pre- present unique problems for humans? I think in some ways it does, and I'm not anti-technology, but you know, a colleague of mine calls the internet the most effective short-term non-prescription painkiller out there, <laughs> and I think that that's because you know we soothe ourselves by you know always being you know looking at things through our screens. And we lose human connection that way. And, you know, even patients who will say to me like, well, can't I just Skype? 
and you know, someone, somebody called Skype, it's like doing therapy with a condom on. It's like there's something <laughs> very different about the energy of sitting in a room with another person for 50 minutes straight with nothing pinging or ringing or, you know, distracting you. There, there are no, you know, like I think even when we are get together with our friends and we rarely do in the same way now because everybody's so busy. And so even just to, you know, it's like, you'll see someone and it'll be like, see you in three months. Right. And you might, text with them in between a lot, but are you actually sitting down with them yeah, um, and it's, having it's experiences funny. with them? When my kids were really little, my husband was traveling a ton and parenting was a huge challenge to us. And then eventually getting along was a huge challenge. So we wound up in couples therapy and it was instantly helpful just to sit down in a room with the commitment that we were just going to talk to one another for 50 minutes. It was like, of course, we had a lot more to work on, and we, you know, it took us a kind of a year to get out of the woods, I think, but the just the happiness of having made that progress was like a shot in the arm for us. Right. People actually look forward to having that time, and I see a lot of couples in my practice, and they'll say, that at night they're like co-computing, you know, like somebody's <laughs> on one screen, somebody's on another screen, you know, it's like they might be in the same room, but they're not connecting. And I think that no matter what people come in with, there's almost this underlying theme of loneliness, even if they have a partner and family and friends or whatever, you know, they're surrounded by people, but we're not connecting in the same way. And, and I, you know, the title of the book is maybe you should talk to someone. And I didn't necessarily mean maybe you should talk to a therapist. I meant maybe you should talk to someone in your life. Maybe we need to talk to each other more because we will feel better when we do. I think that is such good advice and definitely the theme for today, connection, talk to other people. Lori, thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks so much for the conversation. And everybody, thank you for joining us. You can get Lori's book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. You can also connect with her on Twitter at Lori Gottlieb1, and that's Lori, L-O-R-I. The Road to Somewhere is recorded in New York City. Make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review us. We would love to hear from you. Where are you on your journey? Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at pod2somewhere. And email us at roadtosomewhere at iheartmedia.com. Special thanks to Alicia Haywood, our incredible producer. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on The Road to Somewhere. We're available on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.